Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can listen to us later on via any podcast app you choose. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you all with us. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Keith, and whoever else may be joining us. So today we continue our study of the book of Isaiah, but uh, before we get into the text itself, I want, well, let me, let me set it up this way. Uh, I want to do two things today. I want to look at the next section of Isaiah, but also help us to see the value of really understanding the Old Testament for reading the New Testament. Seems like as Christians, uh, we, we, we don't know what to do with the Old Testament. We don't uh, know how to apply it. And obviously, Uh, I come from New Covenant theology perspective, so I don't believe the law of Moses is our law and so on, but that's not to say the Old Testament is in any way less the inspired Word of God or that we have nothing to learn from the Old Testament. Uh, Let me show you something here. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Keith says the music is breaking up, so let me know if the... uh, if the audio of my speaking is breaking up, although I don't know if there's anything I can do about it, it all seems fine on my end. Anyway, so at 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul there describes, um, and now Kegu is also verifying it's breaking up, so now I'm distracted. <laughs> yeah, please give me a yes or no uh, of whether or not my uh, speaking voice is also breaking up. Uh, again, I don't know that there is anything I can, yes, some breakage. Hmm. Well, I I think that must be on YouTube's end because everything seems fine on my end. So I'm going to plow on through and hopefully it'll clear up for you. So first in the chapter two, Paul there exhorts us to pray for our leaders, pray for peace, for gospel effectiveness. He tells men not to uh, fight and, uh, and be... Um, be harsh and angry with one another, but to lift up holy hands in prayer. And then he describes women this way. Let me show you. Likewise, he says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. And then he gets into this uh, very controversial section. It's controversial today. It hasn't been in past generations. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet in the context of uh, uh, the church gathering. And we'll, we'll save that fuller discussion for another time. But I just want to point out here, Paul here is emphasizing that what a woman wears is important. And she should not be known for her outward appearance, but for her good works. And he says here, it's proper, it's appropriate for a woman who claims to be godly to be known 
for her good works rather than for her appearance. And, and even this business about the receiving instruction and being submissive and all that goes to character and what a woman should strive to be in contrast to the externals, to the dressing to the nines and that kind of thing. Okay, so Paul says this to Timothy and is giving Timothy instructions to give to the church. So this is what God, through his apostle, wants uh, women in uh, the church, Christian women, to understand. Peter, in his first letter that we call First uh, Peter, has something similar to say, specifically toward wives. Look at this, chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, is the same way as he said some other things, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them, the husbands, are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. In other words, a wife's behavior might cause a, uh, a disobedient husband to be won to obedience. And the word here would be the gospel that's clear in the context. And, and again, we're not studying First Peter, so I'm just going to um, make some assertions as we go and not try to prove them all right now. He says, for the wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Kegu says, it's better now. Good. So uh, way to go, YouTube. Thanks for clearing that up. I'm going to blame YouTube for that. Uh, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So again, the behavior is of concern to Peter. And now he gets into the externals. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Okay, so he's contrasting uh, kind of bookends here. Behavior, chaste, respectful behavior, and a gentle, quiet spirit in contrast with uh, what they do with their hair and jewelry and dresses and you know makeup and all, all those kind of things. For this gentle and quiet spirit, he says, is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. They used to adorn themselves with the respectable behavior, and they were submissive to their husband. Sarah even called her husband Lord, called Abraham Lord, and so on. So my question for you is, as we think about Peter saying this and Paul saying this, question is, where did they get this? You think Peter and Paul got together in some conference and said, hey, we need to address these things to, to the women of, our, of the churches that we're speaking to? Uh, no, I don't think so. Maybe, but uh, Peter and Paul didn't spend a lot of time together. They're, they got it from the Old Testament. Uh, they, that was the scripture they had right? You know that. They didn't have the New Testament. They're busy writing the New Testament, right? They're writing these letters to these churches. They had the Old Testament and they drew principles from God's anger against the Jews, his anger against other nations. Uh, in one of the comments uh, from a previous series, I just, just came in 
in the last day or two, uh, someone has, was asking, you know, is murder a sin for the Gentiles kind of thing? And, and I, I think he is probably pushing back against my view that we're not under the Ten Commandments, as though uh, the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments are the only place where murder is called sin. It's sin all over the New Testament, but uh, if you were with us in, uh, I can't remember which series this was, probably the the Law of Christ, Law of Moses uh, series, or Law of Moses, Law of Christ, uh, we, we looked at uh, Leviticus 18, where there's a whole host of sins there, uh, including lots of sexual sins, that God is angry at the nations around Israel and is going to spew them out of the land, spew the Canaanites out of their land because they're committing all these acts, which are a violation of God's standards, of his law, of his, his moral requirements for everybody. And even those who had not received a specific written law, God's holding them accountable for these things. So there are certain things that God always considers sin, and, that's, and murder is one of them. So the point is, uh, there's much to learn in the Old Testament about what God wants of people, even without tying it all to the law of Moses. That's getting into a whole discussion that we get into in another series. But the point is, Peter and Paul read Isaiah, for instance, and see what God expects of, of people. And if you, if you notice the little, uh, I don't know if you could see, those of you who are watching on YouTube could see the little uh, banner going along the bottom. I'm just playing with a new feature here. Um, I said something like, uh, American women are showing all the signs of a, a fallen society. And I think I gave the little teaser as a title here. Um, uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, Instagram model mindset, uh, Jewish ancient Jewish uh, edition, we're going to see that what God condemns the Jewish women for uh, is on full display here in America. Genesis has a contrast to the women of Zion, Isaiah chapter 3. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're getting ahead of me. Well, well done. So let's look at this. So in, in Isaiah, remember, we've seen that God is, is condemning, he is calling out the sins of Jerusalem, and they are syncretists, they are pluralists, multiculturalists, they are, they are bringing in an, any and every idea from all the surrounding regions, and that's driving them away from exclusive devotion to God. They are very wealthy, they have great military strength, and they are committing idolatry. And God is angry with them, and he's pronouncing judgment upon them. And he, we looked into that yesterday. Now let's look, and he's got some specific things to say about what the women are doing. So let's take a look. Uh, Isaiah three sixteen. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are proud, and walk with heads held high, and seductive eyes, and go along with mincing steps, and tinkle the bangles on their feet, therefore, we'll get to the therefore in a minute. So let's just slow down and take a look at this. He calls them the daughters of Zion. What he means by that is, Zion here is like the mother, and she has taught her daughters something. This is what happens. Women, why mothers, uh, if you have daughters, your daughters learn from you. 
And they learn far more from what you do than what you say. Uh, and this is true of men too, and fathers to the sons, and, and to some degree fathers to daughters. So it's not exclusive to the, to the sex. But by and large, a woman learns what it means to be a wife and mother from her mom. She learns what it means to be a woman from her mom. All this nonsense, this laughable nonsense in America today about what is a woman. There are many reasons why we've gotten to this point, but one of the reasons is what mothers have or haven't done for their daughters. And we, we teach ourselves that, but it's not just individual mothers. So I'm not trying to cast blame. Some of you uh, women may have been uh, exemplary mothers and still have daughters that, uh, that cause you to shake your head. So it's not simply tied to any one parent. So I don't want to give that impression. Zion here is the city. The whole city is teaching the daughters to behave in a certain way. Right, so the idea is the, the culture, the society, what has become the norm, what has become um, uh, incentivized, what is put on display as admirable in the society, that's what it teaches the daughters of the city to value. And then that just, it, it, it's a, a spiral, right? It just reciprocates it. Uh, and what they value causes society more to, to want it. So he calls them the daughters of Zion. So the, they're, they're the, uh, the expected um, followers of, the, of society, the culture. And what are they? They are proud. These women are arrogant. They're conceited. They're selfish. It's all about me. And in particular, what they look like. They walk with heads held high, outstretched necks, literally in the Hebrew. Uh, they, they are, they're very, very proud. Their eyes are seductive and alluring. They understand how much control they have over men with their appearance. And they, they use that to manipulate, to, to draw attention to themselves. They want people, they want men to look at them. They go along with minting steps. They, they walk in a way that is attractive, right? They, they walk in a way and they dress in a way to, to draw attention to themselves. And uh, the, I love the phrase here, the, the English, the tinkling the bangles on their feet. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not an expression we use every day, is it? Uh, you get the point, even if you don't understand exactly what those uh, that description means. Uh, they have anklets, bracelets on their on their uh, on their feet and shoes. Everything from head to toe. They they they're all about what they look like, right? This is the Instagram models of the day, even before Instagram. It's all about appearance. Now they didn't have filters like all the girls can have today. Where uh, have you seen those uh, those images going around of um, uh, women how they look naturally, and then the filters they can put on with the different app, apps? You know what's what's app or I don't know what they all are. Um, the, the Instagram filters, all these things where you can you can just in a click of a button go from a normal appearance 
to you know supermodel or Instagram model kind of appearance, and and then they all the decor and makeup and eye, all that stuff that that is on display. Well, it, it's not actually the the jewelry and all of that that's the problem. It's not the dress that, that's the problem. It's what motivates it. They're arrogant. They are prideful. This is a wealthy society. Remember, we saw that earlier. A wealthy society, and and they're idolatrous, and they it's all about me and what I want, and therefore these proud women are uh, putting themselves on display. And what does the Lord say He's going to do? Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. God says, because you proud women walk around and flaunt your looks and put yourself on display, when I judge, I'm going to cover all of your beauty with uh, a leprosy kind of thing. I'm going to cover you with, with nasty, leprous scabs. He says here, uh, he'll make the foreheads bare. It's, it's possible, some of the wording here is very unique. It's possible it's not just the foreheads that are bare. Uh, that it could be referring to their, their private parts. In other words, you, you want to display these things and draw attention to yourself with your body. And God says, I'm going to shame you by making your appearance unattractive and, and possibly even uh, by, as he says over and over again in other parts of the, of the warnings, uh, your nakedness is going to be revealed to all. And, and what you're using to attract is now going to become um, something to be ashamed of. This is, we see this in our society, both sides of it, right? Of course, we see the, uh, the flaunting uh, as women in, in every aspect, whether it's uh, music or uh, movies, or again, Instagram, or uh, any of the social media, uh, women trying to always put themselves on display. And you have actresses, every now and then you'll see a, a, an interview with some actress who did nudity in movies, and now she's, uh, she's ashamed of it, but instead of acknowledging her sin, instead of saying, you know, I did that because... I was arrogant and I was trying to draw attention to myself. Instead of doing that now, they blame the director. They blame the writers. They, bl they blame somebody else. I was forced into it. I was, uh, I was told I had to do this kind of thing. And I'm not denying that there's probably pressure put on by the directors, by the producers, and so on. But at the end of the day, they volunteered for that. But now they look back with shame and they talk about... Uh, how awful they feel for having done those uh, those nude scenes and so on. You just have to wonder is and th these things are on video right forever. This is not going away. What these women do in their twenties, when they're in their fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties, everybody, their children and grandchildren, everybody's going to be able to see it because you can't get rid of this stuff. And you just think is that part of God, his judgment on our society, on these women who, uh, who do this. And I know, I know men are culpable 
in this in wanting to see it that it's not the point but our culture has no problem judging the sins of men what we won't do is judge the sins of women unless they're of course they're politically conservative women and then (laughs) all bets are off god here is calling out these women he's already called out the men and he'll do it again but women are not saintly just because you're a woman does not mean somehow you're more righteous Uh, women are just as evil and wicked as men and uh, their wickedness is on full display just our culture won't let you say anything about it but i'm saying something about it because god does god does he goes on in that day the lord will take away the beauty of their anklets headbands crescent ornaments dangling earrings bracelets veils headdresses ankle chains sashes perfume boxes amulets amulets finger rings nose rings festal robes outer tunics cloaks money purses hand mirrors undergarments turbans and veils god says i'm going to remove all of those things it will come about he says that instead of sweet perfume there will be putrefaction how's that for a word instead of a belt a rope instead of well-set hair a plucked out scalp instead of fine clothes a donning of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. See all these insteads, instead of, instead of, instead of. What they have now is they smell good. They have all the, all the perfumes, the fragrances, and they have luxurious belts and their hair is all just right and they, they're dressed to the nines and they are beautiful. God says, no, you're going to stink like rottenness. You're going to have a rope tied around your waist. And all your hair is going to be pulled out. You're going to wear sackcloth that is itchy and irritating to the skin and is the sign of humiliation. And the marks on your body are not going to be um, any kind of beautiful symbols. It's going to be branding. You're going to become slaves. I think it's important to point out God here is not condemning the external decorations on these women. I think that's also true of Peter and Paul. When uh, in Ezekiel 16, I believe it is, when God describes Israel and how he took her from poverty and made her into a wife worthy of a king, He gives her all these kinds of things. Jewelry and fine clothes and makeup and all all the rest, hairstyles and so on. That's part of a woman's beauty. That's how God made us for women to want to be beautiful, for men to find them beautiful for all those things and to to find them beautiful naturally, but also to add the, the external decor. That's not the problem. 
The problem is the, the arrogance. The problem is when a woman now finds her worth, her value in those things, and when she puts it on display to try to draw attention from everyone, not just her husband, or not just to, to be beautiful, but now to become manipulative and seductive and, and exalt those external things as, uh, as, as powerful and uh, find her, her pride again and dignity and so on and that. God, the, uh, the implication here is God gave them the wealth and it manifested in all of these, th- these things. Fine, uh, so long as there's humility and an understanding that what makes you precious in God's sight as a woman is not your appearance. It's your character. It's humility. That's why Peter and Paul describe the submissive wife, and the Old Testament does as well, as what is precious to God. Where did they get that? Where did Peter and Paul get it? They get it from here, from Isaiah chapter 3. Also want to point out that all these things, there's nothing new, right? All these things that uh, these Hebrew women were uh, wearing, anklets and headbands and different ornaments and dangling earrings and bracelets and things on their head and uh, ankle chains, perfume boxes, finger rings, nose rings. That's nothing new. There's nothing particularly rebellious about nose rings. Money purses, all the, this is just, this is inherent, inherent to, to women to want to wear these kinds of things. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't look down upon that so long as what is held in high esteem is, is the character. Uh, I see that Lon has a comment here. Let me see what that is. Uh, huge fake eyelashes are a big thing for young women here in Idaho. Not just there, brother. They're all over the place. And uh, now, thanks to the internet, um, you know, every every culture, right? A- a- every girl, every woman can see what everybody's wearing all over the world. And uh, and it spreads like never before. So my point is, those, you know, the Amish and, and others, and just throwing that out as a sort of a stereotype, those who... who say a woman should only wear, you know, a, a denim dress and, uh, and as simple clothing as possible. I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point. If you're a woman and, and you enjoy uh, dressing up and jewelry and so on, great. I, I think that is b- biblical so long as what you're striving for more than anything else is the right heart. God says, your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle. So now you're referring to Zion. So he referred to the daughters of Zion. Now he's referring to mother, the city itself, the society. You're going to fall by the sword and your mighty ones, your, your soldiers are going to be defeated. An enemy is going to come and destroy you. And her gates will lament and mourn. And deserted, she will sit on the ground. So now we've gone from the daughter to the mother, the city. And God says, I'm going to 
take out all your soldiers. Your gates are going to fall. And mom, Mother Zion, is going to sit all by herself. She's going to be deserted and cry. The time of weeping is upon them. Uh, the time when the city will be destroyed is, is coming soon. And then he has one more thing to say to the women. For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. So here these women have been all about themselves, put on their external displays. They're arrogant. They're strutting around, acting like they don't need anyone. And they've been taught this by the society. But when all of it comes crashing down, they're going to be desperate for men. They say, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves. We'll provide our own well-being, which was the man's job. But we'll, we'll provide our own food and clothing. Just take us as a wife so that we won't have the reproach of being regarded as unworthy to being someone's wife. We're heading there in our society here in the U.S. Women are striving for everything that is contrary to God's design for women. And frankly, they're becoming unmarriable. And men have very little incentive to marry today. Non-Christian men, unbelieving men, have very little incentive. Women are giving away sex for free. Uh, women are, the courts are enabling women, when, when they divorce a man, to take most of the wealth, to be paid alimony and child support. I know there are exceptions, but by and large, women win those those things in a, in a divorce. Do you realize that 80% of the divorces in the U.S. are started uh, by women? Women file for divorce? If you're a, a, a non-Christian man today, what incentive do you have? She's going to take all your stuff. The courts are all on her side. You don't need to be married to have sex. Why get married? There's a reason why the marriage rate continues to decline. There is a reason why men continue to find women unappealing for long-term commitment. We are bearing the fruit of what we've created. And again, this is not, uh, this is not just attacking or uh, I should say um, finding fault with women, blaming women. Uh, we're all to blame. The society is to blame. So why is it crucial for us as Christians to get it right, to do what God's called us to do? to know what men are to be and what women are to be and get married, have children and, uh, and all of that and, and uh, fight against the daughters of America, uh, so to speak. It's all right here. Peter says, this sounds very similar to when they came out of Egypt and the women removed them to contribute to the tabernacle construction. Yeah, yeah, it's a great observation. Yeah, very good. So, obviously, lots of application here. God here in Isaiah is describing what women are like when society has...
has abandoned God. So whatever culture you're in, whether you're in the U.S. or another nation, it's worth observing how women behave, how they're encouraged to behave, and uh, to ask the question, are we putting on display here this, uh, this illustration of a fallen nation, a society that's lost its way and lost its concern for God, or maybe never had it? And uh, it's pretty obvious, right? This is, this is not hard. All right, folks, that's all the time we have today. Uh, tomorrow we will come back to another vision of hope uh, for Zion and uh, see what that has to say for us. Have a great day in the Lord. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow. Take care.